0: Good morning everyone. How are you? Happy July 4th almost. Thanks for being here. I'm sure everybody's smack dab in the middle of your holiday weekend plans, activities. Anybody going out to the Y this evening for fireworks? I'll see you out there. Cool. It's going to be fun. It's always a big shindig out there. Um, Thank you. Well, gosh, a lot of stuff going on. Terry and Emerson Manning are finally grandparents as of 3 o'clock this morning. Yeah. Congratulations to Jordan and her husband, a baby girl, Frances. And uh, gosh, and then the Linkers are married 46 years today. Yeah. Is that right? 46 years. Congratulations. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. Woo! Way to go. Bunny put up with you for that long. Now. <laughs> and, uh And then Brian and Jen are getting married Saturday. Yeah. Woo! So, uh, um, I think most everybody, uh, I see some familiar faces, were here in the first service last week, right? And uh, maybe exception of a few. And last week I was talking about the gift of faith, which is really the grace of faith. It's a grace gift of faith, which is the Galatians 2.20, the faith of God. That's the faith that we get. And I want to go off of that this morning and talk about uh, a season that we're in and in, in a lot of ways, we're always kind of in this season, but it's a season of transition, okay? So I just mentioned at least a couple of people that are in, have a transition phase going on right now, getting married, having a new baby. Uh, how many other people would say, I, yeah, I, I'm in some sort of transition in my life, going to college, moving out, new jobs? I mean, it's just almost everywhere you look, so many people are in some major transition, Right. And almost everyone is in some p- aspect of transition, as I said, as usually life brings along anyway. And uh, I want to talk about four key things that I see in these seasons of transition that we see in the scripture, even in the life of Christ, that's really such a big deal in overcoming the obstacles that the devil likes to try to put in our lives in a season of transition and more than that But moving in the offensive and a positive note These are like the four keys I see as being the four keys of success in these seasons of transition Okay, so if you want to title your notes this morning keys of success and transition or something like that I don't have an official title, but that sounds good um, but uh I was thinking uh, recently. Um, tomorrow we all celebrate 235 or 235th birthday as a nation, right? And uh, I don't know how many of you guys remember from history class or whatever, but um, early on there was major transition for this nation. I mean that goes to, you know goes to reason with being a new nation, but from the moment of winning. The American Revolution. Did you know that we didn't immediately adopt the U.S. Constitution? <laughs> we had a document called the Articles of Confederation, which was a much much different document than the one that has, we're so familiar with, that has been our guidebook for the past, you know, 200 years or whatever, more a little bit more than that. And uh, about seven, I think it was about seven years technically let's say a decade, just to round it off, for the first decade of our lives, there's these four major areas in the United States of America, so it became called, became called, number one, is our identity. Number two, is our provision as a nation. Number three, our protection as a nation. And then number four, what I'm going to use loosely as, our glory as a nation. Okay, and here's what I mean by those four things. Number one, identity Who are the United States of America? What is it? Well, did you know for the first decade, a better way to describe it, it was called the United States of America, but a better description would be the United Countries of America. Because each of the former 13 colonies that were now 13 independent states were just that. They were independent from one another. They were almost like, in our world, they would be more like separate countries. So we belonged to Carolina, and then there was Virginia, and New York, and, and so on and so forth, and Rhode Island. People identified more in, in terms of their national identity with their state than they did with the 13 states put together. You guys knew this, right? It's just kind of a reminder. So there really was this identity crisis. Who are we as a nation? Who are we as a people? And as they came together in 1787 to revise... Because of some problems with the Articles of Confederation, remember originally they were just revising that thing, not scrapping it for a whole other document. This was one of the big questions: is who's supreme—the national government that we're going to form, you know, restructure, or the state governments? And isn't it interesting? It always fascinates me in the study of history that really that debate between national versus state—it's still going on, isn't it? I mean, to this day, it's still roughly breaks down between liberal and conservative if you want to get right down to it and in fact in the middle of our history we fought a war over it right i mean (laughs) states rights and the civil war so that key thing of identity seems to be something that in our nation and in our individual lives the enemy always is going to come after that thing he's always going to come and question that thing in your life secondly had to do with provision we weren't, under the Articles of Confederation, one of the problems is there was really no good way to collect money. We basically had no income as a nation. Well, the problems with that are pretty obvious, aren't they? If you have no good way to collect the income, loosely they could get some monies from each state for the national treasury, but because there wasn't much that the national government was commissioned to do by the Articles of Confederation, there wasn't... Technically a need for that much money, but those problems became obvious. So it wasn't until Alexander Hamilton and some, some people cooperating with him began to found national, the National uh, Department of the Treasury, the National Bank, and so forth. Anyway, so the issue of provision in our infancy as a nation was a really big question mark. Um, third is protection. One of the weaknesses of the Articles of Confederation, even though, well let me say this, one of the strengths was, we beat the British. How we do that is a whole other message of the sovereign, miraculous power of God. It really was. I was talking to my dad about some of those stories. That's not my purpose here this morning, so I'm not going to go into that. But somehow, despite any natural, logical understanding, we were able not only to protect ourselves, but defeat the most powerful empire on the history of the planet in the the British Empire. But still the problem remained is if all these 13 states are basically 13 separate nations, when do we come together? And what does the national military look like? And, you know, how does all that fit? So protection was a really big thing. And then fourth was what I'm going to refer to loosely as our glory as a nation. And what I mean by that is, how did the rest of the world view the United States of America? And that was a really big key question mark. Because foreign policy was... Well, it was a bit of an issue. It was a bit of a problem. If you just think about it, if we're like 13 separate countries, well, if we need to have ambassadors with France, for example, do we send 13 different ones? Uh, Of those 13, which one represents all of us corporately? You see what I'm saying? So our glory as a nation, as a national identity, as a unit, was really a question mark. And we see this here also even in this often preached passage of Scripture that I'm going to use as a text this morning in Matthew chapter 4. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 4. And this is, of course, the temptation of Jesus. Before I dive into this, let me just say that um, it's in, this, is an interesting, this is a transition. Because here Jesus has lived 30 years. Grown up as a boy, under his parents, uh, matured, gone through his 20s. He's roughly 30 years of age, give or take. I'll depend on the theologians you talk to. We'll just say, for the sake of argument, he's around 30 years old. And he, of course, arrives in Matthew chapter 3 to, to, to the baptismal pools at the Jordan River for John to baptize him. And, uh, of course, there's the passage that, uh, upon the heavens were open. He saw a Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him. And a a voice came from heaven, My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus receives His identity... And then shortly thereafter, He launches right in. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, later in the chapter, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And His fame was spread out, and they brought all the sick, and He healed all the sick, and all these amazing and tremendous things were happening. Revival, awakening was breaking out in the nation of Israel and the surrounding areas. But don't forget, between point A, his baptism, and point B, awakening and revival coming and the kingdom of heaven being released, there was A and a half between A and B, and that was 40 days, right? 40 days in the desert. How many people love the desert? Nobody likes the desert, right? It's not a real hip, hip, hooray place. It's not a real fun place. It's dry and it's... Lonely, and it's in this case Jesus was. It said after forty days of fasting, he was very hungry. <laughs> like duh, he was very hungry after not eating for forty days or drinking for forty days. It's a very challenging place, and uh, but I've realized it's a necessary place because it's actually the place where those four things that I just mentioned are solidified, are re-emphasized. And Satan knows that he can come and try to steal the seed that God's planted in your heart for the next thing that God's doing in your life in that desert place. And I think in a lot of our lives, in some situations, he's effective in doing that. So that's why he, he knows that he could possibly do that to us. So the purpose of really just this exhortation this morning is be aware of the schemes of your adversary. That He's going to come to me and He's going to come to you just like He did with Jesus. Just like I spoke of in the infancy of the United States of America. And He's going to try to steal this nation before it could be birthed. I mean, think about the effectiveness of the Gospel being preached around the earth because of the United States of America. There was a time where this premature baby of the United States could have died very easily. It could have passed away. It's happened all the time with infant countries in the history of the world. Or even that, it could have gone into another monarchy dictatorship. Did you know that they wanted to crown him King George Washington and establish another monarchy? It could have happened. Just how close were we? You know, we have a sense as the pastors and the leaders of this church, and let me see if you feel this, we've got this sense that God is really up to something. Like, we're just, I feel like, on the brink of a great something. that God. I want to be careful not to define that. A great something that God wants to do in our midst. And uh, we were talking this week about the Lord preparing us for what He wants to do. And it's funny because if you were here 2006 through 2008, there was this mighty season of the outpouring of the river of the Holy Spirit. And we enjoyed that so much, and in the years since then, at times it seemed a little bit confusing. Not that I would consider those per se desert times, but in a way, a transition period between what was and what is about to come. And right now, I feel like now, as I look back at 2006 to 2008, instead of thinking back to the good old days, I think, isn't that interesting how God prepared us in order to be able to take us to a place that He has yet, we have yet to go? Because I believe that there's a big season coming in our church where God is going to break out in in crazy ways that it could be we would not be prepared to go there had we not experienced the outpouring of the river in those couple of years. As a man rightly related to God, Jesus of Nazareth, it was necessary, as he told John, not only to be baptized, but remember the Spirit led him into the desert. It was a necessary 40 days of preparation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Obviously, and Andy preached this in the worship this morning. You are the righteousness of Christ. You you have everything, the fullness of God resides inside of you. Christ in you, for uh, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our identity has been solidified by the river of God's presence that's been poured out in our church. I mean, if there's one thing that I, that I would have to describe to someone who knows nothing about our, ministry, our life as a church, I would say that that one thing to me is the one thing that stands out. It's knowing who we are in God. It's knowing whose we are in the kingdom. That we're sons and daughters. That now I call you a son. I call you you a friend. It's that intimate place of just being with Him. And I was thinking this morning, Lord, if there was just one thing that I could get across to our church over and over and over and over again just as a preacher, it would be a very simple thing. It's just Him. Just... (laughs) <laughs> even as I think about it, joy just leaps up in my heart. Just like that psalm that I mentioned, what would I have done if it wasn't for the love? That love of God is so consuming. It pursues us until the absolute last. It will pursue us. It will absolutely grab a hold of our hearts to the last moment, the last second of our lives, to the last to the last second of the history of this planet, the love of God is still pursuing. And um, just as a side note, Sarah and I were talking how this, week, this weekend about how that re- spirit of religion, the Pharisee spirit, it tends to want to put this thing in our heart to look down our noses at people. You know you know what I'm saying? Just that little, like, more holier than thou thing. Just that little thing. And it's not even something said necessarily, or even an expression on your face. It's not even that. But it's an attitude of the heart. And I'm going to tell you, people can feel that thing. They know where that exists. And the love of God is so compelling, that it just, even as I say it now, it just breaks my heart even for the way that that has operated in my own life, because that is not the heart I want. That is not the heart of the Father that I want to express through my life, through your life, through our lives as a church. But the doorway of the Father's heart is wide open that all should come. That all should come and experience the feast, the bounty of His table, of everlasting joy and love and peace. That's given just freely as a gift. (laughs) If there was something I had to do to get it, I wouldn't have it. I've done nothing to deserve this thing. This all-consuming love that just pursues me. So that identity thing, even though obviously Jesus as the Son of God knew at His baptism, knew when He walked into the wilderness who He was, the tempter still went after that. So despite this thing that we know as a body, who we are, just be aware. In the season of transition, the devil's going to come to try to tempt you about your identity in Christ. He's going to try, and here's the way he does it first and foremost, get you out of grace. He's going to try to take you in your mind, the mind of your your natural mind, that could filter down into your heart. He's going to try to take you out of grace. And try to get you into self-effort. And try to get you to walk before you sit. You know, He's going to try to get you to point the finger. He's going to try to get all those things that really is just a symptom of a lack of grace, even if it's a pointing the finger at yourself in the mirror. He's going to try to get you to do that. So just be encouraged. Just remember who you are. Remember all the things God's done in you. And if you don't this morning yet, no, no. Exactly who you are in Christ, the good news is, hey, you're in the right place. He's got you here. He can speak that to you even right now. Even this very second while I'm speaking. Just let the Father put His finger on your heart and identify you. Identify you. You're extremely special. You're created with a divine purpose. And a goal in mind by the Father. What a oh man, I just can't tell you how freeing that has been in my life. Like even right now, I don't have to do everything right. I don't have to preach a good sermon. I don't have to be this great whatever. I can just be who my dad's made me to be. That's in fact I don't even have to be. I'm I just I am. I just exist. I just I am and I can feel the pleasure of my heavenly dad. He smiles at me, even if every single one of you fell asleep for the next 15 minutes because my message was so boring. I'm, that's not my goal, obviously. But even if that happened, I could still walk out of here knowing that my dad is completely pleased. Do you realize how unusual that is in the church? Yeah, that's <laughs> Some of you do. Some of you do realize because you've been even recently in other places. I, this is not a boastful thing at all, but thank God for this church. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, like, thank you, God, for this place where there's no pressure, where you're just free to be. To be. <laughs> free to be. Yeah, anyway, inside joke there. Number two, then the devil, verse five, took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It's written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know what he quoted there? Not Jesus, Satan. What passage of Scripture did did Satan quote? Psalm ninety one. Our favorite Psalm, right? I said this last week. The devil knows the Bible. He knows it real well. In fact, this blows my mind. He used Psalm ninety one to try to tempt the Son of God. Psalm ninety one like can you pull out something from like Haggai? You know, like like just some obscure minor prophet. You know, Nahum. You know, where is Nahum anyway? You know, just pull that out. He went to like the marquee scripture that David wrote. You know, the marquee psalm. Psalm 91. What is Psalm 91 all about? It's all about the protection of the Lord. Right? Mm. The protection of the Lord. You know, last week I was speaking out of the parable of the sower. And it says that there's these... These thorns that come to choke out the seed. And Jesus called these thorns the cares, riches, and pleasures of life that are coming to steal the seed. And that's what the enemy was trying to do to Jesus here. And even in the protection of my life, Dean was telling me, we were talking this week, and he was telling me about being down there in YWAM in Hawaii. And this girl this young girl who had uh, been overseas in Afghanistan a few years ago, I guess, now, Dean? A few months ago, in Af- last year? It was around a time where just down the road or in the vicinity of where their team was ministering in Afghanistan, some workers were killed, were murdered by the Taliban? And this girl, her phone began to light up, of course, from her parents and her loved ones. You know, get out on a plane, get home now, get out, you've got to leave, you know, all this thing. And Dean was saying it was the most amazing thing, because here's what this young girl said. She goes, I just wasn't worried about it, because how could I walk away from this tremendous ministry? God was doing so much, so powerful. She said, besides that, even if I were to die. It would be worth it all to give my life for the sake of this beautiful gospel and Jesus Christ. Of course, I'm paraphrasing or adding to it, however she said it, but that was the theme. And I thought, you know, we're in this, I personally am in kind of the season of transition in my life of some big dreams and, and some big visions and some things I want to do. And even it involves the nation's. And you know, honestly, in the back of our minds sometimes, when God puts dreams in our hearts, in some level, and I don't even mean necessarily, it could be, but not necessarily endangerment to your physical life, but there's always a question of protection. Well, is this going to be safe? Is this going to be good for my little babies? Is this going to be okay? You know you know what I'm saying? Like that question is one of those ways that it's like he's coming with those thorns to try, to try to choke out the dreams in your heart. To try to drown out and steal that seed. And by the way, I skipped over number one, and that had to do with in verse three where he asked him, turn these stones into bread. What does that speak of? That speaks of provision, right? Well, God, if I do this, am I going to have enough money? You know, what about my retirement? You know, what about provision for my kids? Now, i got to share this just personal example. Um, if you're a parent, you can relate with this. Every time you have a baby, there's a transition that goes on in your life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I know that's right. There is a, a, uh, a, a, a readjustment as a family. And it's almost like I describe your family as like a wheel that's running around pretty smoothly. And then the new addition comes and that wheel is a little wobbled. You know, it's a little cockeyed. And I encouraged somebody recently, just wait. My experience is after about four months, that wheel starts to get back on its, <laughs> on its rotation. You'll figure out the new rhythm for your family, for your life. And uh, if you think that wheel wobbles a lot after one or after two, the third child, try six. You know, so in March, Sarah and I had our sixth baby. And uh, I'll just say this, this was a, you know, an unplanned um, sixth child, at least in our perspective, not in God's. But in our perspective, this wasn't necessarily something we were, we were planning on. And um, do you know the temptations of provision that the devil puts in your mind when you've got six kids and people look at you like you just stepped off Pluto? Do you know what causes that yet?
1: <laughs>
0: kids cover years. Yeah, I know what causes that. I figure I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's been my adopted response, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, because it's a real thing, though. You know, well, gosh, Lord, I, I don't make that much. I mean, how am I going to afford this? I mean, there's college. You know, you look at these stats somewhere of how much one child costs, and it's just over a lifetime, you know, and it's like, wow, where is that? Or what about protection? Or what about identity, How am I going to provide this thing for my, who are we as a family? All of these things become this big question that I've found the devil is really willing to try to put these voices in my ear. But then I remember, I remember who I am. I remember who we are as the Bollinger's. I remember what the Bible says that children are like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. You know, I remember, oh, praise God, I got a lot more than most people. I, Psalm 128, I got six arrows to launch out there. I remember how, how much, how exciting this is and how much this is God's plan for our life, even in the middle of not sleeping through the night. I love what this guy said recently. I was listening to this guy. He was like, you know, a lot of people love to blame the devil for things that it's just a lack of sleep. <laughs> He's like, honestly, just get a couple good nights rest, and suddenly, where'd the devil go? You know? Like, I, I think you need to remember that. Because if you're going through a season that's a hard time, a lack of sleep, or a lack of this, or sickness, pain, you know, these things are, a, a, you know, there's just challenges to them. And don't let the enemy lie to you and make you feel like you're less than spiritually. Because God may, like in the case of having a new baby, God's the one who has me in this season. Not even the devil. So even in the middle of that weariness and that tiredness and that like feeling like I'm in a fog, I know who I am. I know what God's plans are for me. And know that this too is going to move on. The last one, the devil took him up on the exceeding high mountain. Oh, <laughs> man, I'm missing that. You playing with me? Oh, she's putting her prayers up there. Okay. <laughs> Verse eight. Took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, <clears throat> excuse me, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I think Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with a natural perspective of glory. He was showing him all the physical kingdoms in the world and offering him the world's version of glory. And it's like, that's the cares of the world. That's the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life. Is you can have all of these things if you want. Or you can seek first the kingdom of heaven and his right, his glory. And all these things will be added to you. And again, at the beginning of the last week's message, I was reading a passage to you out of First Corinthians Uh, Two, about how the natural mind can't understand the things of the spirit, right? But only the spiritual man. And it's like the kingdom of heaven, I'll remind you, is a spiritual reality. But it's just as accessible to us each and every day as that chair is for me to sit down on. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus already possessed in all the fullness As a man rightly related to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he possessed the kingdom. So do you. You possess the kingdom. It's in you. It's on you. It's at your disposal. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is at hand. It's near to you. But don't let the tempter come and tempt you with the glory of the kingdoms of this world. The glory of the riches riches of the kingdoms of this age. All of these things are common to choke out the seed. Because let me conclude with this. If you go back again to the parable of the sower, in the first explanation, Jesus was saying that the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The seed is the word of God. These four things protect the seed: identity, protection, provision, and an understanding of your glory in Christ, the hope in Christ in you, the hope of glory those things I just I'm not sure if this is connecting. I don't know how good a job that I've connected this with your heart this morning. But I just want you to take this away. That in whatever season of wherever God's taking you right now, keep those four things in mind. Look for, I'm not saying look for as in be afraid of. But be aware of the tempter trying to come. And question your identity, give you fear about your provision, give you fear about your sense of protection, give you a lack of understanding about the glory of God that is rightfully yours. Don't let him do that. Instead, cling to what has already been done. As Andy was preaching this morning, what's already been done, all these four things are provided for you where you are. Amen? So let's stand up. I want to
1: pray for you. Um, so this is such a good message. I. I really uh, want to say that um, for myself, I've, I'm, I, think, I, don't, I haven't really met a person who's not in transition lately. I th- it feels like everybody is going from one place to the next. And as believers, we are truly going from glory to glory. That's, that is the, that's the path, is glory to glory. But in the place of transition, the Lord takes you there because He is trying to bring things up in your own heart that do need to be healed. And I, I've had, I had this happen to me this week where the Lord pierced my heart with something. It, it caused me to weep. It was hurtful, but the Lord did it. And um, I, I so appreciate this message because it's causing me to see that that um, transition doesn't have to feel good, and we don't have to measure ourselves by the way it feels. That that we're sold out to moments where weakness is abounding, but, man, when that when that thing happened to me, when I was being dealt with, my identity was still the overriding message that I was hearing. The Lord was saying, Listen, you have this thing on you right now that I don't like, but don't be condemned because that's not who you are. This is who you are. And it was like, I was weeping because I had, I had really hurt somebody with something I had said. But I, oh, and this is what I want to say to you, forgive yourself. When you're going through transition, give yourself room. And when the Lord comes and He, he deals with you, He wants you to forgive yourself. The same way that He's forgiven you. Amen? Amen?
0: Amen. So, um, if we could have a couple ministry team people come up here and be available. If you need prayer to be saved, healed, set free, breakthrough in your life, we want to be available up here to pray for you with that individually. And uh, I just want to pray for us corporately um, over what the Lord's given us here this morning. So, Father, I thank You for our identity in You. I thank You that You have touched our hearts, God, that You've caused us to understand what it means to be a child of God, a friend of God, Lord. How rich and how awesome that is. God, I pray that in this season of transition, for so many of us, that You would guard the Word. You would guard the seed that's in our heart, God. That You would guard it from the tempter. God, there's no temptation that sees us that You're not familiar with. That You haven't already overcome. You even overcame these in the desert. So therefore, as You live in us... So we have power over those thoughts, over those things that come to try to steal the life-giving Word of God that's been planted in our hearts. So I ask you now for this church, for this group of people, I pray that for each and every person that you would guard guard the seed, guard the seed, guard the seed, guard the seed, guard the seed. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth thank you that you are our protection that you are our provision that all of psalm 91 is true over our lives that we won't dash our foot against the stone but lord you send your angels to minister to us so god even i ask that you would make us aware of the ministry of your angels if jesus needed angels to come minister to him do we need them too god So I just ask for your angels to overshadow each and every person here this morning. Protect them. Guard them, God, by your Spirit. Thank you for your great love. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, come on up. You can be dismissed. Have a great Fourth of July.